Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 41. I am your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me every week, as always, is international piano ambassador, Mitchell Davis. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. How's it going with you? Good. I just just got back from Russia. (laughs) (laughs) I heard they loved you over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Russia is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) You You have captured the hearts of the Russian people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so this week, yeah, we're we're trying our new three album format down from five albums that we'd previously done, and we did get some feedback and uh, thanks to you that gave us feedback on that question. And basically, it seems like the feedback from what we got was that you know they didn't mind the five albums, but go ahead and give the three albums a try. That's yeah, what I got. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's good because, I mean, you know, trying new things, especially if it, if it makes, you know, the whole situation better, you know, why not? You know, let's let's at least try it because like like we were talking before the show, you know, it just gives you more time to focus on on a particular, you know, album. Whereas, you know, obviously we both have a lot of stuff we're doing, you know, here and there and, and, and we're busy, you know, with our lives away from you know, the podcast. So I, I think it's, it's a good opportunity to, to try it and, and see what happens, you know? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> well, we're going to cover, uh, like I said, three albums on uh, this episode. The first album is from pianist Van Cliburn, his recordings of uh, Rachmaninoff piano concerto number no. three and Prokofiev piano concerto number no. three. And then we're going to move on to Jimmy Cliff, the soundtrack from the film, the harder they come. And then we're going to finish with Patsy Cline, the Patsy Cline collection. It's like a huge collection of her, her works over her entire career. Yeah. Uh, yeah so let's start with Van Cliburn. Uh, he has a <laughs> super interesting story. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I heard of Van Cliburn, you know, uh, I've heard even recordings of his, I'm, I was very familiar with his, uh, the big international piano competition that's held in Fort Worth, Texas every year, uh, which is a huge deal in the classical piano world. It's a huge deal in Fort Worth. You know, when I lived there, um, it was a, a major deal. I mean, they would report on the competition as it was happening every night, you know, on the news and, um, it's just it's a it's a, a a big big deal um, to win that. I mean, basically, if you win that and you're a classical pianist, you have a career after that. Yeah. Um, and it draws pianists from all over the world, the best the best of the best from all over the world. Um, yeah. Any initial thoughts? I don't know on Van Cliburn. Did you know his story at all before this? No, or? very very little. Just just the part of him going, you know, to Russia and and, and really didn't know how significant that was until I read into it more where, first of all, you know, the, the Tchaikovsky competition in Moscow was, I mean, was the very first one that he had, that he had attended. It was the first one they'd ever had. And, and going into it, I didn't realize how much 
reverence and respect he had already from a lot of the people there in Russia, which, I mean, it was 1958, I think. And I mean, it was, I mean, it was the Cold War in effect, full effect, where, you know, we were just eyeballing each other as as two nations at, at, you know, that point where we really did not like each other. So for him to come, you know, from Texas and and not only, you know, perform well, but win the competition. Do you imagine? I mean, can you imagine how well he must have performed? Because even if it was close I mean, they're not going to give yeah, it to him. Yeah. You know, there's no way. There's no way yeah. with 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 Russia and the United States. You know, basically, you know, looking at each other like I'm I'm about to destroy you. You know, if you don't do X, Y, or Z. I mean, it must have been very tense, very very tense. And I mean, for him to to win that competition, I mean, he must have been stunning in his performance. I mean, that that's one thing about this whole thing that, that really blows me away. And then him coming home and, and giving the, you know, another performance, a major performance, you know, you know, probably the performance of his life. I mean, to return to New York, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Super amazing. And and so young too. I mean, he was, he was 23, 24 years old. Yeah. yeah, I I think 23. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's really crazy. Um and yeah, it is it is incredible that he that they even gave him the prize. Like you would think at the height of the Cold War, like even if he you know, kicked everybody else's ass like by a by a, a long ways, they would have given it to a Russian. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But reportedly um the judges went to Nikita Khrushchev, uh Nikita Khrushchev, who was the, you know, Russian leader at the time. And asked his permission, they were like, you know, this guy kicked everybody's ass. He's American. What do we do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Khrushchev reportedly asks, you know, well, was he the best? And they said, yeah, he was. And he said, well, then give him the prize. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I just props to Khrushchev because, I mean, he could have easily said no, said no, and just used it, you know, as a sort of propaganda thing, yeah. which, which, Reportedly, that's sort of what it was designed to do. I mean, uh, this is the Tchaikovsky competition. It's playing Russian music by one of yes. the most celebrated Russian composers in Moscow with a bunch of other Russians, you know, on their own home turf. I mean, at the height of the Cold War to go there and do that and win for his prize, that's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I again, before we, we started, you know, the show, I, I was talking about a, a, a documentary I watched online, a PBS documentary on the, the Clyburn competition here. And, and he he spoke of how much how much respect they had for him. He was really surprised at how how polite and how kind they were. I mean, it was almost like his reputation came ahead of him before he even made it there. I mean, and that was that was a testament to the man himself. I mean, I mean, he was, I mean, a classical music, you know, star in a, in a, in a way probably that no one of this modern age had ever been, you know, and, um, you know, first, first classical artist to sell, I guess, a million copies and go platinum. I mean, you know, that's, that's really, really amazing. I mean, just a, an awesome legacy that he's, uh, he's left, you know, and uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that that I I really didn't know. I mean, just you just hear that name and it it just carries weight. It's some fan Clyburn, you know. 
but just reading his history and, and going through and, and, and seeing how many people he's influenced and it's, it's all, it's just a really awesome story. Like you said. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to uh, post that on the Facebook yeah, page? Yeah, I will. I will. It's, it's just a matter of, you know, you know, doing what we do here and then I'll probably do it yeah, once yeah. We, we finish the show. So, but it, it's, it's a really good documentary. I mean, just, uh, you know, the old classic PBS type doc documentary where they, they go through and, and kind of do a reunion with a lot of the, uh, the competitors over the years and, and tell their stories and how they kind of related each other, you know, while they were competing against each other and, 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 you know, looking back at, you know, old and new performances. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty decent. I, yeah. I was anyway. Cool, man. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't watched it. Um, I'm looking forward to watching it, but um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a whole interesting story. You know, uh, he won that competition on his return to America, he was greeted with a ticker tape parade. So the the only classical musician to ever receive a ticker tape parade. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he went on from that to sign with RCA Victor. He recorded an album um, of the of Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto Number no. One, which and the piece that he won the competition with. And it it uh, was the first classical album to go platinum. It eventually went triple platinum. Um, he won a Grammy that same year for best classical performance. All this stuff happened in the same year, mm. in 1958. I mean, what a year! Yeah, <laughs> for yeah. someone. Uh, and you know, I thought, you know, it's it's very interesting that you know this artist got caught up in the Cold War hype because mm -hmm. you know the whole ticker tape parade. He's returning to America as a hero for defeating these Russians and all this stuff. You know it has a lot of political overtones and a lot to do with what was going on at the time. You know with the Cold War and all that stuff. Yeah, because that that stuff is usually reserved for like war heroes and, and yes. people that that had had been in combat and yeah. I mean, they a, for a classical artist to receive such an honor, it was yeah, that was there was a lot more involved, you know, than, than what was on the surface. And I mean, that's, that's another part of this. That's just so amazing to me that, that he had that level of, of talent and, and respect where he, he brought so much more to the table and, and, and so much more influence, you know, as far as, as, as a political sense and in a cultural sense, I mean, it's, I mean, like you said, it, it was a year that he probably would not ever experience again, which was good and bad in a way where it seemed like afterwards a lot of his critics began to kind of, you know, look at him as saying he, he didn't evolve past that. But I mean, you know, that's a tough year to top. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, impossible, really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one thing I thought was, you know, in the midst of all this Cold War hype and all this stuff, you know, Van Clymer, uh, I'm going to read this uh, this quote of what he told the audience at the ticker tape parade. And I think it's awesome. I mean, this dude was awesome. It, it, it really elevated him in my eyes because he his statement basically is he's trying to shift the focus away from this Cold War hype mm -hmm. bullshit, really, yeah. onto what, you know, he felt was important. So he said to the crowd. Uh, quote, I appreciate more than you will ever know that you were honoring me, but the thing that thrills me the most is that you were honoring classical music because I'm only one of many. 
I'm only a witness and a messenger because I believe so much in the beauty, the construction, the architecture invisible, the importance for all generations, for young people to come, that it will help their minds, develop their attitudes, and give them values. That is why I'm so grateful that you honored me in this spirit. So, end quote. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's an, I mean, he's just like, look, you know, this should be about the music and, you know, the importance of music and the importance of music to our young generation and, mm-hmm. and not about this other stuff. You know? Yeah. And it, the great sense of humility and, and it didn't seem like he's just talking. It seemed genuine, you know, with what he said, because he lived it. I mean, if you look at his, his career and his history, you know, the years later, I mean, he dedicated himself to, you know, bringing young people up, especially it seemed like, and and having them, you know, sort of hone their craft. I mean, the way he was brought up, you know, where it's like if if, if the trade is, is, is seen early that someone's going to be a very talented musician, it's like, you know, let's go ahead and, and expose them and teach them and, and, and you know, you know, instruct them on the way to make them, you know, much better than they could be, you know, and, and he just dedicated himself to that his whole life, you know, which is, is an amazing testament in itself, you know, just, he didn't just stop with his own success, he, he helped so many others, you know, and, yeah. and that's, that's just amazing, you know, to, to dedicate one's life to, to performance and teaching and, and just the, the art of, of what he loves, you know, classical music, you know, especially piano. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for those that don't know, he just passed away. So yeah, back on, in uh, February, I think. Yeah, yeah February twenty seventh of this year. So less than two months ago, he just passed away. Um, just another little factoid that I read that I just thought was awesome that you know elevated him further. You know, in my eyes, in nineteen ninety four, he was in the Iron Man cartoon playing himself. So there you go. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was in the Iron Man animated series. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, we're going to listen to uh, the P- Prokofiev Piano Concerto Number no. 3 from his album. And we're going to listen to excerpts from the first and the third movement. Uh, so, the first movement on Dante. Um, this one, there's one particular part and uh, I apologize to to Mitch. Uh, I forgot to tell you what excerpt I was gonna play. So sorry, Mitch. Well, and that's okay. But I mean, my my thing with with both pieces, and I mean, I I mean, I, mean, I listen to all the whole parts of, of all the whole the entirety of both pieces, and I mean, you know, I mean, I just I have thoughts on you know the variety of parts. So go ahead. I mean, it's fine. Well, you know, this one particular part of this uh, from about, um, I don't know, the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, from about, I don't know, the, the latter half okay. of it. Um, one thing about Van Clyburn's playing that I just loved and that people, you know, commented on all the time when I was reading about him is um, his ability to make the piano really sing and to mm. bring out these these lines, you know, as these singing lines. And there's this one particular part that I'm going to play 
where there's a, a lot going on in the piano. There's a, a lot of layers, a lot of different stuff going on, a lot of different voices that are moving in different ways. And um, he's really able to bring out these, you know, important voices and let them sing out. But at the same time, keep all these other disparate voices sort of just crystal clear, you know. Um, and I just his playing to me is is very musical. You know, it's not just all pure technique and flash, you know, just like other maybe some other pianists that are out there. But it's very, very musical as well. Um yeah, what did you think? Yeah, I, I would I would totally agree with you. He he interjects so much life into what he's doing. I mean, he has a, a, a much more dramatic flair than than a lot of players that came before him, I would say. I mean, in, in a sense to where, you know, he 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 knows the music and then as what he wants here and there. To, to make things kind of pop, you know, and and it seems like the orchestra can can kind of just vibe on that and 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 you know move within the piece with, for what they're doing, but but not like sort of and I, I hate to say it like this, not get in his way, you know, right, 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 because I mean he like you said, I mean he the quality of the music is amazing, and I mean. You know, it's it's just really beautiful and adventurous. That's that's the one thing that kept coming to my mind is his playing is so adventurous to where he he kind of steps out and and allows what he can do talent wise to you know be infused in into a piece that normally would not have that flair. I mean, not to say that the piece is bad, but I mean he puts his own kind of personal stamp on it. I mean it's it's dramatic flair. It's 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 just crisp. I mean, and and like I said, the you know it's 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 just a beautiful way of of sort of taking classical music and 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 giving it a freshness that I think people you know hadn't seen before. You know, and in yeah, a way yeah. that he brought to it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's check this out. Thank you. This cool. is uh, the first movement from Prokofiev's Piano Concerto Number no. Three.
First movement, the Andante of Prokofiev's Piano, uh, piano Concerto Number no. Three. We're going to move on to the last movement, the third movement, titled Allegro Manantropo, uh, which again means uh, fast but not too fast. Mm. So you know that's that that uh, indication, maybe uh, more aimed at the soloist. You know, fast but you know, don't go crazy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, in this one, I. I really love the orchestration and you kind of, um, kind of hinted at this, uh, when you were talking about, uh, you know, how Van Cliburn is, is so great at, um, you know, keeping out of the way of the, of the orchestra, you know, and being clear and all that stuff. But, um, a lot of that credit has to go to Prokofiev himself, um, which is a, it's a great skill, like compositional orchestrational skill, you know, to, to not have the orchestra overtake the piano, which is very, very easy to do. I mean, the piano could have easily just, you know, I don't, you know, sort of fall over. into the cracks. Yeah. Well, and just it, it can just wash over the piano like a like a giant wave of sound and just bury it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, very easily. Um, so, and it, he does that in this movement. I mean, just masterfully because what happens in this movement? It starts out. Um, I love the orchestration in this movement. It starts out with all the low instruments in the orchestra, and you know he has this cellos and basses playing pizzicato. Um, it sounds very Russian to me, very low, you know, um, very Russian-sounding music. And then the piano will come in, um, kind of majestically with these sort of clarion chords, you know, like really high and yeah. and just clear like bells, you know, but powerful bells. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes into this part where Van Cliburn sort of doing these, these sort of faster, more en- energetic runs sort of up and down the piano. And as he's doing this, the orchestra is echoing what he's doing, like in really fast succession, but it's still super clear. So you can, you know, easily hear the piano, the orchestra, everything is going on at the same time, but everything is just clear. You know, it's not muddy. There's not nobody overtaking anybody. And it's kind of like a contest or like a sword fight or something like this. It's sort of back and forth, mm-hmm. you know, um, between the orchestra and the soloist. And, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I love this movement. What do you think? I, I agree. I mean, it's it's just a, another example of, of how he as an artist, you know, was, was so very, very talented. And, I mean, had a way 
of, you know, sort of raising the bar, if you will, which to this day, I think a lot of people look to his performance, especially on this album, as sort of like the standard of how to play, you know, you know, this particular piece or, or the, this entire setup of, of pieces. I mean, you know, he, he made it to where it's like, you know, oh, that's how it should sound, you know, and and the way, you know, people look to him or look to his performance, I think is, is it still carries on today. You know, I mean, it was that good. I mean, it was that, you know, well performed. I mean, not just him, but but the way, like you said, the orchestra was as well. And I mean, they're their accents here and there. And, and like you said, not to, you know, sort of, you know, overdo it and, and work within the piece itself without, you know, sort of getting in front of what is supposed to be on the surface or, or what should be at the forefront, which is Van Clyburn's playing. And I mean, it, it, it totally works in a sense to where, you know, they, they had great chemistry and, 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 and great, arrangement with each other it, it would seem to me i mean you know just like i said just very 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 talented and and i, I still just think adventurous you know in, in the style of his playing i mean just you know such a unique style of of, of arrangement and and and, and taste of, of what he had to bring i mean just uh you know and it's incredible you know yeah yeah cool yeah well, let's check it out Cool. This is the final movement from Prokofiev Piano Concerto Number no. Three. This is Van Cliburn with the Allegro Manon Tropo.
And we just heard the last movement of Prokofiev Piano Concerto Number no. 3. And we're going to move on to our second album for this episode, Jimmy Cliff, The Harder They Come, released in 1972. This is the soundtrack to the movie of the same name. Um, and I thought that was uh, another interesting story, you know, that uh, this director wanted to make this movie and heard Jimmy Cliff's Many Rivers to Cross and decided, you know, that would be great in the film and contacted Jimmy Cliff to write more stuff and eventually from this cast him in the lead role. Yeah, lucky for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course this just shot Jimmy Cliff to international prominence. Oh yeah. Um, and people all over the world heard reggae music for the first time. And you know, this was I, I had never heard this album before. Um and this is uh I guess pre Bob Marley. And well, 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 I, well, I sort was, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can set me straight, but I was um, when I first listened to it, I was like, you know, I don't know. It di- didn't sound reggae as as reggae as I was expecting. Or something. Is that, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, it's, I would say it's it. There's definitely a soul influence. I mean, at the time, yeah. you had Stax Records, and I mean, Jimmy Cliff definitely would would admit. I I'm sure that a lot of his influence came from American soul. And, and, and a lot of reggae artists would say that. And I, I would say that that Bob was definitely, he was recording, but hadn't really blown up to to the superstar status that he would eventually approach and, and come to, you know, before this. I mean, I mean, that that would definitely, I think, be true. I mean, Bob was definitely there. I mean, the Whalers were, were they were a group, but, but this was probably one of the first big reggae influence records i think that people around the world had ever really been exposed to like you said and i mean you know that that one song i mean it's it's many rivers cross that is i mean it's it's like an anthem i mean when you listen to it i mean and i mean not to kind of get ahead of what we're talking about i mean it was it was such a huge huge stirring hit that it, it kind of inspired like you said originally this whole thing and um you know, I, I would say that, you know, I would say soul music was definitely a, a big influence on, on a ton of reggae, you know, in, including this. So, yeah, I mean, big time. And, and uh, Many Rivers to Cross is um, is very gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like very, very gospel influence. Uh, soul, like you said, um that uh, organ i mean that organ at the beginning it's like going to church you yeah, know it's, it, yeah it is yeah and, and i mean and, and even the lyrics i mean it's it's about you know the, the the struggle that that we have in everyday life with a variety of things you know you know your your wife leaves you you lost your job you you know you're locked up in jail i mean all that's in this song you know i mean yeah and it, it, it's one of those universal type things where it's 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 like the blues you know it's 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 like gospel. It's really more like gospel than blues, but I mean, it, it was something that cut through all sorts of, you know, I guess if you would like, like berries of what people, you know, consider good and bad and, and music and not music. I mean, I think everybody can relate to this song. I mean, for, from one point or another, I mean, especially if you really listen to it, I mean, it, and I mean, in Jamaica, I mean, it was, it, it was really tough. I mean, a lot of poverty, I'm sure. And, and people dealing with, you know, just trying to get through. And, and this is just one of those songs that, you know, kind of 
you know, formed the whole idea of what the struggle was there. I mean, not and not just there, but for a lot of people, you know, that were that were just yeah, dealing yeah. with, you know, you know, sort of hurdles in life, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, let's check this first track out just so, you know, we can hear this sort of this track that spawned this whole thing, really. Um, this is uh, Jimmy Cliff with Many Rivers to Cross. across and we're going to move on to the harder they come the title track from the movie and the soundtrack um i can definitely hear the reggae in this i mean this is like reggae plus stacks kind of you know yeah. what it sounds like to me yeah um and you know the lyrics i love the lyrics in this song i mean they're like what i would expect from a lot of the um sort of fiercely independent kind of revolutionary reggae <laughs> stuff you know like uh you know, uh, well, what was one of the the lines like? Um, I'd rather be a free man in my grave than live as a servant or a slave. You know, these sort of yeah, you know, powerful lines. Um, yeah, what did you think of this one? Well, it, it's it, I guess it it kind of was like a rude boy anthem in in the sense of you know that that whole movement and culture you know which was was really big in Jamaica. It's just like you know I'm 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 on the streets. I'm hustling. I'm doing what I got to do to survive, you know. No one's gonna take me alive, so to speak. And and uh, it, like you said, it's 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 a great kind of you know sort of like almost revolutionary statement in in a sense. Not almost, but but definitely a revolutionary statement for a lot of. Uh, I would say the Jamaican youth and street culture at the time, you know. And uh, it it just like you said, it has a very little tight reggae groove to it, and. Um, it was just one of those, another one of those songs that that made Jimmy Cliff, you know, 
a superstar. I mean, the guy is still still around, still performing. I mean, yeah, still still tours. I mean, I mean, really, he's just like a reggae ambassador of, of sorts. I mean, yeah, yeah. I would say he's one of the last, you know, old school reggae artists that are still around, still doing it, you know, with all his facilities. I mean, he's a really he's a legend. I mean, just the, the guy still performs. I mean, around the world. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, he's still regularly. I mean, he's regularly put out records since well about 1968 i would say and yeah. he he it's interesting cuz he started recording uh really early i mean around when he, like 14 years old mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah and he's yeah. he's just been doing it he's 65 now and he's been doing it since that time so he's been doing it actively for 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 more than 50 years now yeah and 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 to mention also about this soundtrack it has a, a collection of some other artists uh that were, you know, somewhat unknown at the time, but but really became like, you know, superstars as the years went by. I mean, this is a great mixture of reggae music. Uh, uh, Toots in the, the Mates Halls. Uh, I, I think the uh, the Melodians. Uh, some other some other groups are on here. Um, Desmond Decker. I mean, lots of. Lots of good, good reggae music, and I mean, I think there's another version of this album. It's like a after the years they, they do those kind of like anniversary records, you know, where it's been like 25, 30 years or whatever, and they'll add another CD, which I think that one has even more music, uh, like Johnny Nash, and which I'm actually curious about. I, I haven't really seen seen that in a store or anything, but I, I'd like to get the like. I guess it's like a double a double album or a double disc of this record, which I'm sure that's, that's awesome. So, um, lots of really good music, not just Jimmy Cliff. I mean, he's, he's really the focus on on a lot of this, but I mean, there's so many different, uh, reggae artists that, you know, I think are really essential to what reggae music is about. So. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. Well, let's check this track out. Cool. This is uh, Jimmy Cliff with the harder they come. Thank you. 
just heard The Harder They Come, and we're going to move on to our third album for this week, Patsy Cline, the Patsy Cline Collection. This particular collection released in 1991, although there, there's like 10 billion of these out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, she, again, had a very interesting life and a short, tragically short life. Yeah. Um, died at the age of 30 in a plane crash. Which uh, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, there's there's a movie about her called Sweet Dreams. Um, uh, Jessica Lange plays her in that movie. It's it's a good movie. I mean, it's it's it documents her 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 coming up and you know kind of you know doing lots of different you know sort of styles of, of of what you would call country music. I mean, country leaning towards gospel and and I guess western or whatever and. And, and kind of, you know, suddenly, you know, having one or two really big hits and and becoming this, I mean, we want to talk about legends. I mean, Patsy Cline, first of all, I mean, that voice, I mean, she has one of the most distinctive voices in music, period. And I mean, really helped bring country music to a, a world stage like nobody. I mean, there were there were some major country artists. I mean, you know, for sure, even even female country artists. But Patsy Cline was was so unique in in her way of of singing, her style. I mean, she could be really down home and 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 I guess you know even you know I don't want to say raunchy. That's that's not like really the word i'm looking for um <laughs> she could she could really she could be like you know you know roots country but then she could be really kind of graceful and elegant and she's like country royalty almost i mean she yeah yeah she she performed like for for royalty literally you know in her career and i mean you know just she had such an influence also on on a variety of other artists i mean you know willie nelson and and, uh, and so many other people are, are probably, you know, indebted to her, you know, for their ties to Patsy Cline, which I mean, Willie wrote, I think he wrote crazy. And, um, you know, the, the, a lot of the musicians and, and background singers and I mean, she's she's an icon. I mean, like an amazing icon to me, you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, one of the cool thing I thought about uh, her story uh, is she came up in a time, uh, especially, you know, in the country music world where it was very male dominated. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was, you know, run by a big sort of good old boys network probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, her story is very interesting because it goes from an artist, a young artist, you know, trying to make it, you know, in that business and basically having absolute zero control creative mm. control over her career so a yeah. bunch of people telling her what to sing and what she can't sing and and, yeah. and etc and, and how, what to wear and you know where to go and and just being told everything to basically through her own will and her own efforts uh to an artist having com- complete creative control over her life and her career and just basically developing this reputation in Nashville of just someone that you don't mess with mm-hmm. and uh, you know setting certain precedents like uh, 
uh, the whole uh, no dough, no show thing where, you know, she would, uh, I guess it was kind of common for concert promoters during that time to sometimes not pay the band up front and then slip out before the concert was over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And she basically said, started telling them, you're going to pay us up front or we're not going to play. Yeah. And uh, that basically became the standard practice, you know, for artists after she did that. But, you know, for her to do that in that time as a woman and to stand up to these people and, you know, it's 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 huge. That was huge. It was huge. Yeah. I mean, because like you said, in in an era where it's it's, you know, like you said, it's good old boy dominated. You know, it, it got pretty rough, I'm pretty sure, on certain nights where. Like you said, she she's like with her band. They're like, we're going to play if you pay us. If you don't pay us, we're out of here. And I'm sure there are certain nights they had to leave. And you can only imagine what that crowd does. Yeah. When she, you know, is is not going to come on stage. I mean, I'm sure some places got burned to the ground. You know. Yeah. Well, there was one story I read where. You know, this happened like she they went, you know, her and her band were at this uh, place and uh, the promoter wouldn't pay them up front. And uh, the band was like, well, what are we going to do? You know, we have this stance. Somebody's got to go tell the crowd, you know, that we can't play because they haven't paid us. She's like, I'll do it. Mm. So she alone goes out on stage and tells the crowd, look, I'm sorry, but uh, they refuse to pay us, and you know we we won't play until we're paid. I mean, she she did this in front of a crowd, wow. you know, just like wow. straight up, you know. And um, you, you, man, you gotta respect, yeah, her will, you know. Just, that's that that's not easy because I mean they they're putting their, you know, their lives on the line out there, but it's their it's their livelihood. I mean, yeah, and I mean for her to to be. I mean, to me, that 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 gives me even more respect for her because she loved her audience enough to to be straight up with them and let them know what's going on rather than just, you know, let's get out of here, you know, <laughs> which she could have done that. But, you know, she just she shows her face and is like, you know, I had like I'm just being genuine. You know, the business is not right here. And we have to go because the promoter won't play us, pay us. Right. So right. so that's that's. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I, I like that. I mean, I again, like I said, I, I, I love Patsy Klein. I love her. To me, she has one of the, the purest voices that you'll ever hear. I mean, I, I put her up there with like Ella Fitzgerald and, um, you know, some of the other great singers that have come along that they just they just seem to have this this command over what they sing. And I mean, for her to kind of have the first half of her career where she kind of just had to plow through whatever they, they put in front of her. Some of the the material probably wasn't worth, you know, her singing, but for her to endure through all that and then to make it on and, and still have a great career despite the shortness of it. It's, it's a great Testament. I mean, you know, just she's, she's really just like the, the, one of the greatest country singers ever, you know, not just female, but, but I, I mean, ever, I mean, just that, that voice, that unique style. I mean, it wasn't like an overbearing, you know, you know, and I, I say raunchy. Okay. It wasn't like, you know, like, ah, you know, it wasn't crazy or anything <laughs> like that. And cause you know how, how some country singers can be. And, that, and that's not a knock on anybody else, but that just wasn't her thing. She was kind of country cool, you know, where she would just, 
kind of, you know, go along and, and add little accents here and there to let you know what she was feeling in the song. She was just one of the most graceful, beautiful, you know, performers, I think, ever. I mean, just, you know, I, I really there's really nobody like her. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people who've come along and been influenced by her. And, and one person I think of who some people are, you know, kind of not cool with this, but uh, but Katie Lang, I mean, she has. Oh, yeah, a, yeah. She has an amazing voice. I mean, you know, despite what you may think about her sexuality or politics, I mean, Katie Lang is is one of the greatest singers this planet will ever see. And her her singing, I think she owes a tremendous amount to Patsy Cline. I mean, she would even, I'm sure, admit that Patsy Cline was probably one of her greatest influences as far as what she does today. I mean, I mean, she just. There, there's a, a concert film of her singing at the Grand Ole Opry, not to get away from Patsy, but but Katie Lang, I mean, I mean, she was, it was like Patsy Cline reincarnated, I mean, in a very bizarre way. I mean, because people at the Grand Ole Opry were kind of iffy about her even performing there. And I mean, she she killed it. I mean, people in the audience were crying, you know, I mean, it was it was that good. And I mean, that's what Patsy Cline was like. I mean, she she could just bring the house down with her voice. I mean, just an amazing performer. I mean, just, you know, could bring out emotions in you without like, you know, kicking and stomping. I mean, you know, that wasn't really her style. I mean, she just, like I said, was much more elegant and graceful in the performance, but still gutsy and, and, and beautiful. And, you know, just anyway, um, <laughs> I could go on about Patsy Klein. She, she to me is 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 really just she's country royalty. Yeah, yeah, will. yeah, 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 dude, definitely. Um, <laughs> let's let's uh, listen to the first track, uh, "Walking After Midnight," cool. and just hear her. Yeah, and again, just this is like this song particularly. It, it's a song that even if you don't really care for country music, you can relate to this song. I mean, you know, someone who's you know, sort of carrying a torch for someone that's maybe not in their life anymore. And, you know, let's say you can't sleep and you go out and you're walking and it's just, you know, hoping to see that special person. I mean, that's that's something that anybody can relate to, especially if you've ever been in love. You know, it's and, and this is just one of the classic examples of how her style kind of just cuts through everything, not not country, not blues, not soul, not gospel, just just good music, you know. I mean, and, and she encompasses to me all of that. But anyway. Yeah, man, let's check it out. This is cool. Patsy Klein with Walking After Midnight. I go out walking after midnight. See a weeping willow crying on his pillow. 
And we just heard Walking After Midnight, and we're going to move on to her hit, Crazy. Um, and yeah, before I did my research, I had heard these songs before, you know, but I didn't know that Willie Nelson wrote Crazy. It must have been a really young Willie Nelson. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, um, very. He was a grown man, so green. <laughs> and, and, and the good thing Is that was, a pun? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yesterday was was four and twenty two. That's that's. I mean, anyway, let's. <sighs> Cypress Hill is in a few weeks. We'll 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 relate back to the whole four and twenty thing <laughs> in a few in a few more weeks. But yeah, Willie Nelson was he was very young um, when he wrote this, and 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 was not famous apparently when he wrote this. Not the way he is now. Yeah, and um, you know, like I said, Patsy had a had a major, major influence on, on so many musicians that played with her and, and, and people that sang with her and people that wrote for her. They all went on, a lot of them would to be very famous uh, just because of their association with her. I mean, and, and the legend that she, uh, she kind of, you know, created uh, by, by just being just, a, you know, like one of the greatest country singers of all time and, and then again you know like i said this song it's so relatable you know i mean patsy was like a she was like a torch singer where her heart was just you know was seemed like it was so broken in some of these songs but but she still had like like hope that she kind of offered you know with with her her you know passionate way of singing you know i'm i'm, I'm crazy for trying and or, or I'm trying to think of the lyrics to the song. I, I already forgot. But um, crazy for crying and crazy for trying, you know. And I mean, it's just that that's something that, you know, a lot of people can just really, really relate to. Even now, I mean, her, her music hasn't really gotten stale at all, you know. I mean, I can hear crazy on the radio right now, and I'm like, oh, I'm good with that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's just to me just one of those things. Like I said, I I don't, I'm not a big country music fan, but I love what she did with country music. I mean, she basically seemingly could could almost do no wrong. I mean, with her style and 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 the way she approached you know singing and, and performing. I mean, just uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> well, dude, I mean, I think you said it. As far as uh, Patsy Cline, uh, <laughs> so uh, let's listen to this last track from Patsy Cline. This is crazy. Why do I let myself worry? Wondering what in the For thinking that my love could hold you I'm crazy for trying And crazy for crying And I'm crazy for loving you Crazy for thinking that my love 
and I'm crazy for loving you. And we just heard Crazy from Patsy Cline, and that is going to do it for this week's episode of 1000 Recordings Podcast. If you would like to send us an email, send us one to 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 1000rp. You can go to our website at 1000rp.blogspot.com where we have links to all of the albums that we play. And if you use those links, those Amazon links, and buy those albums, we'll get a little kickback from that. You can also look on our website uh, about sponsoring the show, and we always appreciate that. Uh, because we always need help with the cost of uh, purchasing the music and you know hosting the website and all that stuff. Um, and let's see, if you want to, we would love it if you guys would go to iTunes, the iTunes store, and leave us a rating and a review. We haven't had one in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you leave us a review, we'll read it on the show, and that will help us in uh, – our visibility on iTunes and uh, helping people find our podcast and uh, discover it. And uh, so if any of you out there would uh, do that for us, we would love that. And uh, yeah, what do we have coming next week? Uh, That's a good question. I'm trying to remember. I don't have the book in front of me. Here, I I have (laughs) it. Hold on. Um, (laughs) Next week we have, let's see. Um, actually, we have a couple of singles. Huh. Um, yeah, next week it might be kind of a short show, but, <laughs> um, so we have Yakety Yak by the Coasters. Okay. And Summertime Blues by Eddie Cochran. Yeah. And then we have the album Mad Dogs and Englishmen of Joe Cocker. Oh, okay. So that That's is what good. we have coming next week. Yeah. Yeah. All rock and roll. All rock and roll. The two singles are interesting that they're right next to each other because they're sort of from the same yeah. around the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, that should be that should be interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. The, I think the the, the coasters that, that's that's a group that I, I I'm definitely interested in. Kind of kind of rock and roll vocal. You know that 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 that'll be fun to talk about. You know to go through their history. I I uh, I'm, I'm definitely definitely interested in, in them so to speak so and joe cocker too just one of those performers that on the stage could could be really really interesting just to watch him move right. around on stage <laughs> just, just like wow yeah know, what, this this album we're going to talk about is from 71 and we we should uh post a live performance from around that time yeah because yeah he's an interesting one to uh watch <laughs> yeah joe cocker um he um i'm pretty sure he's been parodied quite a bit i think john belushi before yes. he died did yeah. a parody of him on saturday night live that is hilarious yeah uh but yeah that that'll be good <laughs> cool um cool man was well, there anything else you want to say before we leave for this week no um good uh to try the uh the three album format even though uh i i think i i rambled about patsy klein uh a little bit more than i probably should have but um i i i enjoyed this and uh Hopefully next week it will be just as good, if not better. Cool, man. All right. Well, uh, until then, uh, we'll be back with some more music from Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings, but here before you die. And uh, 
yeah, we'll be back to talk about it again next week. All right, cool. Bye, everybody. Have a great week. You know.